Man, um, good morning. Good morning. That was pitiful. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so good to be in God's house this morning and to meet with you guys and um, just sing songs that remind us who He is and what He's done. Man, it's been good. Um, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and flip to Colossians, and I'm going to just do one more little plug for our um, backpacks. I think this is the last morning for backpacks, so if you um, are wanting to give towards backpacks, today's the last day for that, and there's cards in the back that tell you how to do that, but it's kind of amazing. We can buy a backpack for like $7.35, which is cool, Um, and then inside of that backpack, there's like 12 things that are going to be in there um, that somebody's going to need for school this year, and I know maybe you're like, well, why should I get involved in that? Well, because there's people there at these schools that don't have um, the ability to do that, right? Um, the, the backpack is maybe something that, uh, if it's a backpack or food, right, you're probably just going to go with food. And um, I work at a school, so I know that um, this is, this is a, just a, a reality of, of the day that we are in. Um, this is um, something that I think is amazing. But even more than a backpack and even more than some stuff in a backpack, it just says, hey, there's somebody out there that loves you. Um, and you may never know them and you may never meet them, um, but there's somebody that cared enough about you to deposit this in your life so that uh, we could just break down some barriers so you don't have to go into the school year with everybody thinking you don't have something. And, um, you know, I believe that God's a big enough God that if we can just get behind it in generosity that um, there's people that are going to find him because of a backpack. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, and it's an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And maybe you're like, I, I can just do 735. That's just one backpack, which is maybe true. Um, but hallelujah, because alone, maybe we can't do very much. But the power of the church is together. Uh, we can do all kinds of stuff. So um, today, the power isn't in the number of backpacks that you buy. It's what we can do and uh, I don't know the total but it's a lot already so I'm kind of excited about it Um, and uh, we'll talk about all that next week but um, if you want to know how to get involved these cards are back here on that back thing and uh, we'd just love to have you do that but before we go on I'm going to pray again um, because man I just am aware today and every day hopefully but especially today of how inadequate I am um, to just stand here and do this. So I'm going to pray, and you can pray for me or you can pray for you. It doesn't matter. You can sit there and take a nap till I get done if you want. It doesn't matter to me. Um, but, man, I just want Jesus to move, so I'm going to pray. Father God, we need you. God, I need you. I'm just praying this morning, Jesus, that you just move in this place. I know that um, this morning it's, it's a little different. Um, this morning is maybe not um, what we normally would do, but God, this morning, I believe, Jesus, that you have a word for us, and there's something you would say to us, and God, I'm just excited about hearing from you. Um, God, I know that I need you, and if nobody else needs you this morning, that's amazing for them, but um, I need it. So God, this morning, I'm just praying that you show up for me, and um, that you change me, and you do a work in me, um, and anybody else um, that's praying that prayer. And, um, God, this morning that you wouldn't let us leave here the same people we walked in. Um, I just believe that, God, you're a big enough God that when we encounter you, we can't leave the same. Um, When Moses left you, it was visible on his face. And, um, God, I'm just praying for that today. God, that you just change us in a way that's visible. Um, God, we love you. We thank you. I need you. We need you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Man, um, good morning. Like I said, like 45 times. Um, if you got your Bible, you can go to Colossians 3. Um, oh, man, I'm taking a breath. I'm still kind of hopped up from worship. I don't know about you. Um, it's just good truth this morning. Um, but um, this morning we're going to be in Colossians 3, and we're going to continue a series. Uh, I don't want to say it's the end, but it very well could be the end, but you know how God works, so if I say it's the end, then we'll do it again next week, but um, it could be the end of this series, Come Together, and i um, so excited about just being able to preach this the past few weeks. I've enjoyed uh, immensely just talking about this subject of unity in the church. Um, I know maybe you're like, ah, unity in the church, oh, cool. Um, I think it's amazing. Um, because the power in the church comes from unity in the church. And the reason we see a lot of powerless churches is because there's no unity in, in the church. It's not something that we're really known for um, as, as a group in America anyway. I don't know about other countries, not been to many. But um, I know here, if you ask somebody about the church, it's not always positive, warm, amazing feelings that kind of come out of that. Um, but it should be. I think when Jesus um, talks about the church, you see this beautiful picture of what the church could be, and I don't know that we look like that picture, and I don't want to spend forever knocking the church because I believe in the church. I obviously found Jesus inside the context of the church, and there's some amazing things that can happen if you can wade through all the other stuff, Um, but I just want to say today um, that, man, if we could get this, this place, but every place, um, it would change so much. Um, I just think maybe um, before we start, we could have a working definition of what unity is. Uh, unity it's coming is on the board. Uh, unity is the quality or state of not being multiple or being this idea of oneness. In other words, it's, we talked about a few weeks ago, there's many parts. We're all individuals, but we make up one body. And I think sometimes we think about that. We think well, we all have to like the same thing and act the same way. That's not true. It's not the oneness that we're talking about. Oneness we're talking about is we work as a unit. We have one mission, one objective, one goal, one purpose. We were, have this oneness. Um, number two is a condition of harmony or accord. And basically, accord is just a word that means that we get along. I think maybe if that message would just permeate the church today, that that would change everything in itself. But this idea that we can get along, that we don't argue over stupid stuff, and we don't fight over things that don't matter, that we keep um, Jesus in the center where he should be, and then everything else will kind of work itself out. Number three is the quality or state of being made one, or this process of unification, this process of being made one. I just want to say it doesn't happen overnight. You're not just going to wake up one morning and be like, oh, I'm one with the world, I'm one with everybody. It's a process, and that process comes from getting closer to Jesus. I think if we really are honest about it, the reason churches have so many issues and struggles today is because we've walked far away from our first love and we've made other things kind of the centerpiece maybe for some churches it's a building Uh, it's not our centerpiece if you've looked at it Um, (laughs) uh, pray seriously about getting a different one because the wall's coming down outside Um, (laughs) um, yeah true story Um, it's not um, it shouldn't be about programs right you've been one of those churches program driven church it's like Oh, if we just had this thing, then this would happen. 
programs were never meant to be the centerpiece of the church. Programs don't get you very far, actually. And there's all kinds of other things that maybe we've made that first love. But in reality, the only love that matters is Jesus. And the closer we are to Jesus, the more everything else will make sense. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of unity, this oneness in the church, and maybe, possibly, this week we're going to end that in Colossians 3. So if you have your Bible, hopefully you're already there, but if not, I'll give you a second to get there. Um, This book of Colossians, more accurately, a letter um, to the church at Colossae, which is like a a city in modern-day Turkey. Um, This letter was written by a man named Paul, and the letter is written to the church. I think we forget that so much when we read the Bible, we, we kind of think it's for other people, right? That it's written for the sinners or the lost people. A, we're all sinners, and B, we all used to be lost people, so maybe there's still something we can get from that. But um, the Bible wasn't written to lost people. The Bible was written to the church, the people of God, the Old Testament written to the Jewish people, God's people, and then kind of through that context we've been grafted in to us. Yes, the Old Testament is still important. And then the New Testament was written to the church, people like you and me who profess to know Jesus, who would say we've been church words saved, and if you've not been around long, basically that just means we've given over our lives to Jesus and to his mercy. Um, but this letter was written to the church at, Colossae, a group of people like me and you, people who would say we're saved, who would kind of come together and sit in a house or a building or somewhere and talk about Jesus and sing about Jesus. And it deals with largely a lot of the same thing the other letters deal with, and that's how to live out this faith in Jesus. What what can we do to more accurately reflect Jesus? It's not about saying a prayer and making it to heaven. It's about God changing us into Something that looks a whole lot more like him and a whole lot less like what we used to be. That's Christianity. It literally means little Christ, right? That we should look like Jesus. And this letter in in 3 kind of starts out talking about the life of a new man or a new person, how we should act when we come to know Jesus. And then it gets down about halfway through and talks about the Christian life. And basically that's just how we should interact with each other. And this morning we're going to start in verse 12, and it kind of kicks off with this word, therefore. And anytime you see the word, therefore, it's not a standalone verse. We've got to have some context. It's what is the therefore, therefore, a wise man once said. So we've got to back up and we've got to look. And if you look about verse 9 or 10, it shows us what the therefore is. Therefore, it says, do not lie to one another. Here's the key. Since you have put off the old man with his practices. We've laid down the old man, that person we used to be. He's set aside now, listen to this in 10, and have put on the new man. That we're not the old man anymore. We are a new man who is, by the way, being renewed daily, made new in the knowledge or in knowledge according to the, here it is, image of his creator. This is the goal of the Christian life. This is what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. Not just come to church and not just sing the songs and not just like have a little bumper sticker on the back of your car. But this is what it looks like to really follow Jesus. We've taken off the old man with his old desires and practices who we used to be. And we've put on the new man. And this new man doesn't just become like completely different in one day, does it? It's like right there. Some people, I think, think you say that prayer and then however good you get, like that's the moment and you're done, right? Everything's fixed and any sin that's still there is sin that Jesus just is okay with, I guess, because he won't take it away from me. That's like the mentality we get into. But what's it say? It says that we're being renewed or continually made new 
in knowledge, huh, how do we get that? Uh, teaching and reading, right? According to what? The image of his creator. That God intends for us as we follow him daily to become more and more like him. That's God's vision and goal for your life after the cross, by the way. I think we don't teach that much in the church anymore, do we? We're like, oh, here's the cross, here's the cross, here's the cross, here's the cross. And I love the cross. I'm going to talk about the cross uh, all the way through eternity, by the way, if you've ever read Revelation. It's going to happen. Um, I'm in wonder still today of the cross. If, if it wasn't for the cross, I would still be lost. So uh, I love the cross. But Jesus didn't come to die on the cross to just kind of let us not go to hell and leave us until either we die or the rapture happens. That's not God's goal for our life. It's actually that we would take off the old man. We would set him aside with all the things that we used to do and act and be. And we put on, right, actively take on, like a working kind of idea, the new man who, by the way, is being renewed or made new daily, not Sundays, right, Renewed Sundays in the knowledge of the image of the Creator. Didn't say that. If you're radical and extreme, renewed Sundays and Wednesdays in the knowledge, right? We even do Thursdays around here. Renewed on Sundays and Thursdays. It doesn't say that, does it? But renewed daily in the knowledge of the image of the Creator, that every day we should be more and more like Jesus. And I just, I'm not going to focus on this a lot today, but what's the idea of knowledge? How, how do we get that? I think most of us think all of our problems on how we act and how we um, live are going to be fixed by just saying, hey, God, take blank away from me, right? How many of you tried that? How many of you has it worked for? Less hands, right? I've heard stories, miraculous stories about I used to do X and I prayed and God took it away from me. And that's amazing. And I don't doubt that at all. But God's main vessel for changing us is this idea of knowledge, which comes through what? Teaching and reading. We, as the church, are meant to be people that read the Word of God and study the Word of God. You can't be any more like God if you don't know anything about God. It's not going to happen. All I know about God is He died on the cross. Well, that's great. But if that affected you in a way that changed your eternity, then you've got to learn more in a way that will change your life. And God means for you to dig into and to dive into the Word of God. And if you're not reading it daily, you're not following Jesus. And I just want to be flat out with you. God means for you to read His Word. You'll never be like Jesus until you read His Word. And I love you enough to tell you that it changes you. I've seen it. I've experienced it. But He also means for us to set under teaching. The that's why the church meets together, right? He means for us to set under teaching. And that's not like a once in a while thing or like a I'm going to roll up on Sundays thing. It's a, we, we need to be under somebody that knows more about this word than we do because in our bedroom alone, we will create heresies. We will imagine a different God than he actually is because we'll put our understanding and our experience into the word of God. You need to be in front of somebody that knows more about God than you do and you need to be humble enough to learn. And that is what changes us. And if you want to be changed and you don't want to keep acting like you and being like you, you got to do that. Because the God do X, I don't, I don't know that that works. Not all the time anyway. Because I think what God's saying is, oh, I will do X when you do this. If you're serious about being different, then 
Get a hold of the word of God and pour your life into it. Learn to love this book. And until you do that, you'll never be any different than you are today. Once a week is not going to change you. Once a week is not going to make you more like Jesus. It's not going to do it. It's, it's a daily thing. And that was for free. I didn't study that. That was just God being real with some of you today. Being real with me today. Right? Did we pray? I want to hear from God when we were praying. Because I did, and that was for me, and I guarantee it was for some of you guys. But here's what the context, this therefore, sets inside of. We are not the same as we used to be. God intends for us to be different. God intends for us to look more and more like him. Therefore. Therefore, and then, he, and then he does this crazy thing. He, he doesn't start giving us a list of commands at this moment. He starts calling us who God sees us as. He says, therefore, God's chosen ones. Therefore, God's chosen ones. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? You're not the old man anymore. You're the new man who God intends for you to look more and more like him every day. Therefore, let me speak reality of how God sees you into your life is what he's doing. Chosen ones. Therefore, chosen ones. We have chosen up there. I don't, I don't know if we have chosen. I can't remember if I sent that. So if it's not up there, no big deal. But just think about that word, that we are God's chosen ones, that, that God picked us out. If you know Jesus today, if you've given your life to Jesus, church word saved today, God chose you. You didn't choose God. Let me just take it all the way back to the basics because some of us haven't been in the knowledge thing and we haven't realized this, but you don't come to a moment where you accept God. God is who God is and he does not need your acceptance right? God will be God with you or without you. It doesn't matter if you pray. If every person on the planet shuts off praying today, God will still be God. It doesn't matter if you believe in who God is or or can see who God is. Every person on the planet could quit believing in God today and God will still be God. God is God and he doesn't need us and he doesn't need our acceptance. But here's the amazing thing. He wants us. So Paul speaks this reality into the church because until you know who God sees you as, you will never live as God intends for you to live. He says, you are God's chosen ones that God called you. You didn't call God. You didn't one day come in and there was this intellectual argument that stirred you into a moment where you came and gave your life to God because you didn't want to go to hell. God picked up the telephone one day and he said, today is the day. And he spoke to your heart and then your heart either responded or your heart didn't respond. That is what he means. God called your name. You didn't call his. You were God's chosen ones. But here's what's amazing about that. What that means is you are loved by God. You are wanted by God. You are accepted by God. God says that you're worthy. That's nothing today that you earned. You didn't come in one day in the right suit and God's like, oh, he looks good today. I want him. You didn't just happen to behave enough one week that God was like, oh, you can hear from me today. That's not how that worked. God saw you as who you are in the reality of your sin, and he still called your name, and he said, I want you today. Now, that's amazing. Because today what that means is we don't follow God for acceptance. We were accepted, therefore we can follow God. I'm not trying to check off some list today so God will love me more. God loved me before I ever knew I needed God. And he picked up the phone one day and he called my name and he said, Brad, today is your day. And then I answered. And today I can follow God out of the power of God said I was enough. God loves me. God wants me. And I want him back. I'm not following God today for acceptance. If you're following God today to feel worthy, you will never follow God. 
But if you can see what God says about you, that God declares you worthy, that grace and love will stir you into a moment where you will be able to follow God. That's a moment that says, this God that would love me anyway, oh yeah, I need to learn about that guy. Not rules that say, oh, I better pick up my Bible for 30 minutes today or God won't love me. No, God loves you to the extreme at this moment and there's nothing you can do that will ever change it. But that love stirs me to know about a God that can love me like that. I've never seen it anywhere. So he says, therefore, chosen ones, holy, God calls us holy. Isn't that cool? You don't feel holy, do you? I don't feel holy. I don't, I don't even know what holy is. Holy is this uh, idea of transcendence that God is so above, above, above anything we've ever seen. See, what's amazing is we've never experienced the creator in fullness, right? We, we can just see creation. We've maybe seen him speak to us, but we've never laid eyes on God. We, we have this evidence of a creator, but we've never even seen God. He's so above everything else. Everything else you've ever seen isn't holy. It's not this idea of transcendence. It's just something that's similar to you. It had a beginning. It'll have an end. But there's one thing that's so other, so unlike anything else, it has this name attached to it that's holy. It's so different. It's so set apart. It's so out of this world. That's God. But see, God, when he, when he calls us, he, he gives us holiness or he declares us holy. And basically what that just means is we are set apart from God. We're not like everything else anymore. Isn't that crazy? The Bible calls it a new creation. We're not this old thing anymore, but we are, in fact, a new creation. And what, what he doesn't mean when he says that is a new of the same kind creation. What he means is a, a new, completely different type of thing. We used to be this old man, this old vehicle, this old vessel that was bent towards sin and, and couldn't do anything about it, that was bent towards destruction and couldn't do anything about it. And then God joined the flesh with the spirit in us. He spoke life into us and he made us a completely different thing and he set us apart. God sees us as holy. We don't all act holy, right, at work. If people can't tell you're a Christian, if they can't tell you're set apart, you're not acting holy. God's called you to be a different color sheep in the world full of white sheep, right? He wants you to look different and to act different and to be different, but God already sees you as different. What does that mean? God believes you can be. He says you're holy, you're set apart for the purposes and the mission and the plan of God, you're something different. And then he says this, and and loved. That we are loved. Now, I know that for some of you, that, that's like the thing you hear, and you're like, I don't feel loved. Because you don't feel worthy of love, right? Can I, can I just read to you what God says about you? That you're chosen, and you're holy, and you're loved, and there's not one thing your feelings can do to make that different. It doesn't matter how you feel about being loved or if you're worthy of love. God declares that you're worthy of love, and here's the cool thing. Your opinion is not greater than the opinion of God. The one who created it gets to ascribe value to it. You don't get to, the creation doesn't get to say, oh, I think I'm worth this, right? Wouldn't that be amazing today if we, we, we if there was a potter up here and he, he made this beautiful pot and the pot's like, oh, I think I'm only worth like $5. I just, I don't, I don't feel that great. I wish my handle was a little different. If these things were different about me, then I would be worth this, but I'm not worth this because this is the same. It doesn't work that way with the potter and the pot, does it? 
So it doesn't work that way with God and, and the creation. The creator gets to ascribe value to the created. And God says today that you're loved. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's the reality of who you are because it's what God says. He says, hey, just want to remind you today before I go any farther. You, you are a new creation if you know Jesus. That you, you have put off the old man and you've put on the new man. And this is what God sees when he sees the new man. He sees that it's chosen. If you know Jesus today, you are chosen and there's not one thing you can do about it. You didn't just sneak into the back door of, of the grace of God. God called out your name. There is no back door. And he says, you're holy, you're set apart, you're different, you're not like everybody else. Maybe you don't act like it yet, but you're not, you're different. There's something in you that's not in them. You're something special with the ability to be different. And maybe you're not living up to the potential God has breathed into you, but you can. And I just want you to know you're loved. Now, why would he set us up like this? What would be the point in this? Well, I just want to show you the point of this is he's about to give you a list of things that as we read, none of us are good at. Maybe some of you have read ahead and you're like, I don't know where he's going with this. Well, let me just show you. You're not good at this. I'm going to read a checklist of things that God says should be about the new man. The new man should look like these things. And none of you are good at it. And what you're going to hear is, you're an idiot. You're a fake. You're a fraud. You're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus. You're not worthy. But before we started, what's he placed in there? You're chosen and you're holy and you're loved. Before you read this list, I need you to know you fail at every one of these things, but it doesn't change what God says about you. You're bad at every one of these things, but here's what God says. You're chosen. He called you. It's not a mistake that you're here today. It's not a mistake that you're under the blood of Jesus today. He chose you and he says you're holy. Oh, I don't feel like I do any of these things. I don't feel like I can do any of these things. And God's saying, but you can. You can. Some of you are going to hear it and you're going to be like, I don't even need to try because I'm never going to be able to do any of these things. And God's standing behind you and he's saying, yes, you can. What I've breathed in you is different from what's in them. They can't do it because they don't know me. They are completely flesh vessels and they're headed towards destruction. But you have the breath of God inside of you. You can be different. You're set apart. And I want you to know tomorrow because you're going to fail, you're loved. And the next day, because you're going to fail, you're loved. And Wednesday, you're going to fail, and you're loved. And Thursday, and you're going to fail, and you're loved. And you're going to feel like a failure over and over and over and over and over again. And the only thing that's going to keep you going is knowing that at the end of the day, God believes you can do it, and he loves you in your failure. That's the reality of what God says about us. Until we realize what God says about us, we will never live as God intended for us to live. Until we realize what God sees when he sees us, we will never live to the potential of the gospel in us. We will never do it. So Paul starts out and he says, hey, you're a new creation. You've put off the old man. He's buried. You may feel like you're wearing every one of those rags, but he's in the ground. The two can't live together. And you've put on the new creation. And that new creation, every single day, is going to be renewed. Remember in the Old Testament, there's this verse that says there's mercies that are new every morning. Every morning when we wake up, we got new grace. And every morning when we wake up, we got new opportunity. Today is a fresh day. He says we're being renewed in the knowledge of our Savior. 
because of that, chosen, holy, loved people. Why don't you just take all that out because that's what God sees when he says your name, put you in there. Therefore, Brad, who I chose and who I believe in and who I love, this is what I have for you today. Put on, and then he gives us a list, right? I don't want to miss this idea of put on because here's the reality of what most of us think happen, right? When we come to know Jesus. Father God, save me. Amen. Everything's going to be great. Get up and I'm different. I got rid of all my bad or I didn't do it right, right? I'll never sin anymore. I didn't do it right. The prayer just wasn't, I should have put more thou's in there. The Christian life is a process. It is not a momentary thing where we say a prayer and we get up and we have it all figured out. Here's the reality. I don't know what it's like to be a new me. I've never been one before. And just like when a baby's born, it doesn't know how to do anything. That's what spiritual birth is like. I'm born into this world in Christ and I have no idea what to do with it. Today, if you got saved 42 years ago and you're still horrible at it, maybe you're still a baby and that's awkward when you're 42. But it doesn't mean that you have to stay that way. He says, put on because it is a process and a decision. And today, in the power of what God says we are, we can be and live how God says we can live. And he says today, make the decision. Put on these things. I love that he doesn't say, pray for these things. That's not a decision. That's a cop-out. If you don't add action to prayer, you don't believe in your prayer. If today we were all praying for rain and nobody brought an umbrella, you don't have faith. And in the same way, if you pray for any of these things, yet you do not practice these things, you do not have faith and you do not have a desire for it to happen. What makes you good at football? Practice. What makes you good at singing? Practice. What makes you good at playing an instrument? Practice. What makes you good at Jenga? Practice. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Practice makes, we have the word, right? Perfect. We're never going to be perfect, so let me just add this. Practice makes better. (laughs) What he's saying when he says put on is practice these things. Intend to see these things in your life. Put them into motion in your life. He says this, put on, put into practice, heartfelt compassion. Put into practice, heartfelt compassion. I love that he put heartfelt there because you've ever met somebody that doesn't have heartfelt compassion? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. Right? I'm like the worst when somebody gets hurt. Oh, you okay? That's me. If you've ever been around me, you could be bleeding, and I'm like, you need a doctor? Like, I don't know what to do. Not the best comforter. So I teach middle school, not elementary school. It would not work out well. Oh, you, you just go to the nurse. That would be me. But here's compassion. Compassion is um, sympathetic pity or, and sorry concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. Let me just package that up. It means you care about people. This is put into practice caring about people. Isn't that crazy? See, because we, we automatically feel good at this, don't we? Oh, I care about people. I care. Yeah, you do. People that care about you. 
Where's the disclaimer on that, though? Sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of those that have compassion for you. It's so weird. It doesn't say that, does it? See, compassion is not like one of those aimed emotions, right? I think, I think we think we're good at it because we can aim that emotion. Obviously, you care about people that care for you. Like people that have compassion for you, people that love you, like your family. Maybe you have like the best family in the world and you have compassion. Something's going wrong, something's blowing up in your family. You're like, man, I just, I'm so burdened for this. But when, when that guy that you just met three weeks ago at church who you've talked to two times, his life's blowing up, do we hit our knees and just break down with a burden for him? Your, your coworker who ticks you off every single day because they get the last cup of coffee in the morning before you woke up to get there I'm just telling my story today um, because I'm late all the time Um, that that guy when something's blowing up in his life do, do you care and have compassion for him see that's that's what it's saying here is it's not have like this aimed compassion but have like real compassion for people and the amazing thing is is you don't even get to pick who the people are right there's not like a have heartfelt compassion for the church. That ain't even in there, is it? It's just for people. Heartfelt compassion for the sinner and the murderer and the robber and the rapist. You gotta have heartfelt compassion for all those people. Because let me just let me just drop this in your bucket today. That's you without the grace of God. If you were in the right situation and born into the right family and you had been brought up in the right circumstances, you could be the murderer and the rapist. It's easy for somebody who was born in the middle class with like two parents and no problems, who, who've never really had any issues coming up. It's, it's easy for us to look down and be like, oh, I can't believe they'd be on drugs. I can't believe they'd do that. I can't believe they'd say that. I can't believe they'd act that way. And, and we want to get mad at sinners for acting like sinners. And here's the reality. No matter what your sin is, your life is broken. You've had issues and problems, and that's why you're living where you're at. And as people who have received grace, right, we should be the people who give the most grace. And he says, if you know Jesus, that's the new man. The new man is a man that has heartfelt compassion for people, not certain people, all people. Like a heartbreaking compassion that drives us to our knees because we realize that all of heaven moves when people pray. That God does have all power and all authority to make all decisions. And he can change any and every circumstance. And all he's asked us to do is to pray. To say, God, if it be your will, change this thing. That's the new man. Now, I know if, if you're me right now, I'm evaluating and I'm like, I don't, I'm, that's not me. If you raise your hand, we have to go to James because you're probably lying right? Say you're without sin, you're a liar, and the truth is not in you. That's what James says, right? You're not good at that. Maybe maybe you're like the one person, in the, you're the unicorn in the room who that's totally like you just love everybody and you have compassion for everybody. For most people, that's not it, but that's what he says the new man should be. And if that's not us, what do we need to do? We need to put it into practice. Now, here's the frustrating thing about that. If you're already good at loving the people around you, you can't practice by loving the people around you. You've got to go find the other people. The guy that takes the last cup of coffee, and you've got to love him. 
that's putting it into practice. You're chosen, and you are different. I believe you can do it. It's what God's saying. And you're loved when you yell at him tomorrow. But Tuesday, you better try again. And Wednesday, you better try again. And Thursday, you better try again. And Friday, you better try again. You better call him Saturday if you didn't get it right before then, because this is a real thing. This is the new man. Welcome. He goes on, he says, kindness. Now I feel like a pretty kind person until I look at the definition. Can you see the definition? Uh, kindness is the quality of being friendly. So yes, it's in the Bible that you should be a friendly church. If you've entered a not friendly church, it's a church full of babies. Um, spiritual babies anyway. Um, generous. We should never have to talk about generosity in the church because Jesus' people are generous people. God gave us the most precious thing in the world, Jesus' son, and in turn, we should be generous. I'm not going to spend forever talking about money today, but if you're like, I give 10%, you're looking at the bottom line, right? What do I have to do to be considered generous? That's the heart of a not generous person. If you're offended, sorry about you. And it says, and consider it. Now, I don't know what consider it means because I'm not a dictionary guy, but I do have consider it up there. Consider it as careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. That's awesome. Because at friendly, I'm good. I can be friendly. I look at people who won't look at me and smile just to see if they'll look at me and smile. I do that. I'm that guy. <laughs> Going through the mall. People look at me weird. I do that. I smile at everybody. If they smile back, I just assume that they're having a good day. <laughs> yeah. Going through the mall. I'm a friendly person. So if we stop there, kindness equals friendly. Man, I'm good. I've got it. That's amazing. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I'm a friendly person. It doesn't stop there, though, does it? Generous. I'm, I'm a fairly generous person. I'm not to the extreme. I'm not patting me on the back. I just, I, I don't know. People around me have been generous, and I've been taught generosity, and it's something that I can do. I like having stuff. I'm not saying I give everything away. I'm not the rich young ruler who sold everything and gave it to the poor. I'm not that guy either. But if you need a Coke and I have money, I'll buy you a Coke. That's what I'm saying. Slightly generous. Now, considerate is different. Because, see, if I would have just been like, oh, I'm good, I'm kind, and I'm generous, check, kindness, hallelujah. Um, it's got it for me. But he had to drop in this word considerate, and I, I don't even like the word considerate because this is the one, I'll be honest with me, that I have trouble. It says, careful not to cause inconvenience or hurt to others. Anybody with me? And that, that stings a little. Like even if we could just trim out the inconvenience, right? <laughs> it hurt to others. Okay, I'll just quit hurting people. That's cool. I'll just watch my temper. If I get mad, I won't blast somebody. I can maybe, I can maybe do that. But to even inconvenience someone is what it's saying. I'm not looking to, to convenience myself at your inconvenience, I think is what that means. It's this idea of it's not all about me. I'm kind, so it's not all about my wants and my needs and my desires. I'm, I'm, I'm trying just to make everything the best it can be for it. I don't want to inconvenience you. Now, some of you, the hurt one happened, right? Because you're the temper guy who, like, when something goes wrong, you just blast everybody and you cut them down and you're talking about how horrible of a person they are. And it's like, dude, I just left a Lego in the floor. And you're telling them how 32 years ago they did this thing. And, you know, like, some of you, that's you. And you need to work on that because that's not a thing of the new man. The new man doesn't walk around blasting everybody all the time. 
And you need to practice not blasting people all the time. If that means shut your mouth and go outside or take a drive, then do that until you can fix it. But that's not what the new man does. But the new man also, he doesn't inconvenience people for his own convenience. Don't be a jerk and cut people off. I, I don't know how to... I don't, I don't even know all the different applications to that, but maybe we should start thinking, how, how can I convenience people? Not just worry about how can I not inconvenience people. How can I make their day better? How can I make it easier for them? I think that's the mentality of the new man. Maybe for some of you it is friendly. I'm not a friendly person. I'm an introvert. Well, that's great. That's the old man. He's dead and he's in the ground, and that's not an excuse anymore. The new man is a friendly man. If you can't ever talk to anybody because you're too busy doing whatever you're doing, do something else because the new man is friendly. That's in the Bible. It's right there, isn't it? The new man speaks to people. The new man also is generous. I, I, don't, I like to keep all my money. Well, that's not a characteristic of the new man. The new man is kind, and we don't have to like it, right? And it doesn't have to be easy, right? And it doesn't have to be like feel good all the time. Sometimes we just need to say, God does love you, and he does believe you can be different, and he did choose you, but he also has called you to look like him, and he's not, uh, he's not hateful, and he doesn't blast people, and he is kind, and he is generous. And see, it's all about looking like him, isn't it? These aren't some qualities that God's like, I'm not willing to do, but I left you, so you fill it out. He's like, I told you to look like me, and these are me. And if you want to look like me, then put them into practice. If you're a miser with your money, you just need to go today somewhere and buy somebody something. Because that's putting it into practice. If you're a miser with your money, you need to go to a restaurant, and you need to leave the biggest tip you can think of till it hurts. Because that's practicing generosity, isn't it? If you aren't a person that is friendly, you need to go to the mall today and be that creepy guy. (laughs) Because that's practicing kindness, isn't it? And if you're a blaster of people, you need to go to those people and say, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you when I said blank because you know what you said. I was being a jerk, and that's not who Jesus is, and I'm sorry. And if I do it again, I want you to remind me. It says new people are kind people. New people are gentle, sorry. New people uh, have humility. Humility's up there. Humility's just, um, it's coming. A modest or low view of one's own importance. Um, I just want to put this in there because some of us are like, humility equals beat up on yourself. That's not humility. It's pride masked as humility. Because what you're doing is, I'm such an idiot, I'm so bad at this, I'm, and you're wanting somebody to be like, oh no honey, you're so good. That's pride, you just want attention and you're taking it the negative way to get it. Humility is not, I'm an idiot and I'm bad, it's saying, what do you think? Humility is just pushing other people to the front because you don't need to be in the front. Here's the amazing thing about humility to me. If you know that God says you're chosen and you're holy and you're loved, you don't need to be the center of attention. And if you have a healthy view of God, then you will never overinflate your own importance. Arrogance can't happen in the presence of God if you really see him. It says humility. Practice humility. Practice putting other people before you. That's the new man. It says that we should 
have um, gentleness. Now, I don't have gentleness. I have gentle, which is the root word of that. But gentle is just a word that means moderate in action, effect, or degree, not harsh or severe. You know, a minute ago we talked about not hurting people. This is just another one for those people that just blast people when you get angry. That's not the position of a new man. The new man's not always walking around ticked off, yelling at people, honking the horn, flipping the bird, cutting people off, road raging. That's not the new man. That's not gentleness. I have a problem with road rage. Riding the car, you honk at me, it's a bad day for you, right? <laughs> Told somebody this story the other day. Somebody honked at me. They were speeding. It's their fault. <laughs> and I pulled out, and they come flying up through there and honked at me. And we were going down the strip, which now is just a, like a one lane on each side road. And um, I started going about 15. That's not the speed limit there. And every red light I pulled up to, as it was green, I would stop and look both ways. <laughs> Which is genius. But wrong, right? Because <laughs> it made me mad. And I thought, you, who are you to honk at me? I was in the right. That's not a gentle person. Sorry. I didn't do anything wrong. Still be sorry. Right? I'll, I'll convenience you today. This is the the new people they're gentle people if you're not he says work on it i think we get mad because pride really somebody did something to us we didn't think we deserved man i'm glad god's not that way yell at god oh next time before i decide if i'll forgive you i'll just stop in the middle of the road and look both ways for 45 i'm glad it's not god What is all this about? It's about reflecting God. This is with patience. You ever heard, don't pray for patience, right? Don't, because it won't do anything. Practice it. This is patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. That's annoying, right? You made me late. Trouble or suffering, even when it's our own suffering even when somebody causes us suffering, without getting angry or upset. Now, this is cool because this can work towards God, right, or towards people. Because um, sometimes we get mad at God because something bad's happening. We're like, God, how could you let this happen? That's not faith. Faith is, God, I believe that you know what's best, and I'm going to lean into that no matter what that means. Right? Sometimes we pray for something, and then something bad happens, and that bad thing is moving us exactly towards what we prayed for, and we're so mad at God he let that bad thing happen. It's like, dude, it's what you prayed for. Right? This is patience. New people are patient people, right? They're people that, that will endure suffering and trouble and delay without getting angry or upset, because that's what God does. I'm glad God is a patient God, because I'm an idiot. I do the same thing literally all the time. And I'm like, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, forgive me. If I was God, I'd be like, dude, I forgave you Tuesday. We're done now. I'm glad God's patient. I wish God's people were. And it says that we accept or accepting one another, right? It's like we could spend the rest of the year on that, right? Accepting one another. Let me just be honest with you. It doesn't matter how you feel about anybody. Your first impression doesn't matter. 
your um, they did this to me. It doesn't matter. They, are, they act like this. It doesn't matter. They, are, they dress like this. It doesn't, doesn't matter. They talk like this. It doesn't matter. Again, we, we're in pride, pious, and we think we're better than people. In reality, we're all sinners, and we all need grace, and we're all kind of under the hand of God, and we're hoping God gives us mercy. And, and sometimes it seems like we're praying God gives other people wrath. But in reality, everybody needs Jesus, right? The church should be the most accepting group of people on the planet. If you walked in here with body covered in tattoos, piercings falling off your body, like you couldn't even hold your face up because you had so many in your lip, somebody in this room, because we're friendly, should hug you and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Truth. If you pulled your body in here off magnolia to which you had worked the whole night, and everybody knew it, everybody in the room should hug you and say, I'm glad you're here today. If your worst enemy walked in the door today, you should say, thank you, Jesus, first of all, because they have the opportunity for grace today, and then you should walk up and hug them and say, I'm glad they're here. Because that's what the new man does. If I get a new shot every single day, they get a new shot every single day. And I'm not diminishing the hurt that people have caused you. And I'm not saying throw your life back into the path of destruction. I'm not saying lay down on the train tracks today. That would be stupid. But what I am saying is here, we hope the best for everyone. And when they come looking for the best, we should be accepting to that. They don't have to prove anything to us. They don't have to show anything to us. It's all between them and God anyway. And with intensity, because we have heartfelt compassion, and with forgiveness, because we have patience, we should accept people that look like us and don't look like us, that act like us, that don't act like us, that have opinions that are not ours and have the same. That should be the body of Christ. You know why? Because Jesus accepts us. And we don't really have to prove anything to him, do we? It says accepting one another and, amazing, forgiving one another. Forgive is just to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. Now, I just want to hit all three of those real quick. Offense, they purposely did it to you. God says forgive them. Not fun, not easy. We get a shot at it every day. God says he believes in us. Some people have done horrible things to you. We've done horrible things to God. Thank God that he's forgiving. His people should be. It may be the hardest thing you ever have to do to look at somebody who's wronged you in a way that we couldn't even talk about without blushing. but it's in there. It says flaw. Forgive somebody for a flaw. I love this because it's like unintentional. You just don't like how they look or act or smell or talk. Right? I just don't like them. They have a weird haircut. Some people are like that. It says you have to forgive them. Or a mistake. Now some people unintentionally hurt people. They don't even know they're doing it and it still says we have to forgive them. Right? Offense, fall, or mistake. God's people should be forgiving because God is forgiving. 
And it says, if anyone has a complaint against another, listen to this, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. In the same way, with the same intensity. That's like what he said about the church, right? This is you. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know it's not fun. I know it maybe is going to take you a while. That's why it's a process. So it's put on, put into practice. Like you, you maybe aren't going to get it today, but it doesn't mean you just say, hey, God, help me forgive, blah, blah, blah. Oh, still mad. He must not care. Because that's what we do. Right? Oh, God, take this sin away from me. Oh, he didn't do it. That's on God. I prayed and asked. We do it, don't we? Oh, God, help me to be nice to this person. Oop, don't feel the need. God must not care. That's why I didn't say pray on. It's not a suggestion, right? He says, if you're the new man, walk in a new way. Forgiveness, that's a new man thing. Compassion, that's a new man thing. But it's still there. And he says this in 14, above all or greater than all these things, put on, right, put into practice love, the perfect bond of Unity. Put on love for the perfect bond of unity. I love that, that he like closed out the thought with this because here's, here's the reality. If you can love the people around you, the other things are going to happen. All, all the other things are like side effects of love, right? You, you forgive people that you love, right? You overlook things to a fault, people you love. You, you will actually endure some amount of hurt to forgive people you love. I've seen people do it. I've seen people that like somebody has stole from them and they forgive them and somebody stole from them and they forgive them and somebody stole from them and they forgive them and it's happened over and over and over again because they just kept letting them back in. Why? Because they, lo- they loved them. You know why your heart breaks when somebody you love is having an issue? Because you love them. It's not hard to have heartfelt compassion on people you love. It's not hard to accept people that you love. It's not hard to forgive people that you love. None of this stuff is hard if you love people. So why at the end does he say, hey, by the way, above all these things, why don't you focus on loving people? Because if we would just love the people around us, then all the other things, they, they would just fall into place. So why, why do you think God, when, when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says what? Likewise, love your neighbor or love your neighbor yourself or love your neighbor also. You see whichever translation you want to for that. But here's the reality of it. If we love God, all the other things will fall into place. If sin's running rampant in our life, you know why? Because we're not very close to God. Have you ever noticed that? The moments I'm the closest to God are the moments I'm farthest away from everything else. Right? You know why? Because light pierces darkness. 
light drives out darkness. If I can just gather up close to Jesus, everything else will fall into place. Some of us spend so much time trying to cast off sin. That's not the point of the gospel. The point of the gospel is Jesus has defeated it. Get close to Jesus, right? What's John say? The darkness could not overcome the light. Get in close to the light and the darkness will flee. That's what happens. And the the same thing with, with these other things. A, if we get close to Jesus, we will love people. That's just how it works because Jesus loves people. But B, if we will just love people, all the other things in the list, they, they will fall into place. That's why, that's why Jesus says in John 13 to his disciples, this is how the world's going to know that you're mine by how you love each other. Not by what kind of buildings you enter into. How's the church known today? The sign out front and the thing on the ceiling, right? You know why? Because nobody can tell the church on Monday. The only time people know most of us are the church is when we roll up into one of these. How the church is known today, the little sticker on your car, the t-shirt that you wear, the music that you listen to, or the clothes you wear, that's not what God said we'd be known by. None of those are bad things, but it's not what we would be known by. If it's what we're known by, then probably we're doing something wrong. I think actually if you walk to the food city today and you did a little poll, how many people would say, oh yeah, the church loves each other? On a, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you think the church loves each other? One being bad, ten being good. They'd definitely break the scale over towards the one side, wouldn't they? How much do you think the church loves other people? Man, that would be rough, wouldn't it? See, it's the key. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, the thing that will bind you together, right? Um, And let the peace of the Messiah, the peace that Jesus brings, right? The peace between man and God, but also the peace between man and man. Let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body. Here it is. Control your hearts. Just real quick, the heart's the seat of the emotions. Let the peace of the Messiah control your emotions, not your emotions control your peace. And then it says, be thankful. Be thankful. Be grateful. To who? To you? No. You know, you know, it doesn't matter, really. If I can see what God sees me as, it doesn't matter what you do. If, if I can see that God says that I'm chosen and I can believe it and I can realize it, it doesn't matter what you do to me because it doesn't matter what you th- if you accept me, if God accepts me. Because I'll be honest with you, at the end of the day, you're going to die and go in a hole and he created everything. His opinion matters more. It doesn't matter if you think I can do it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Somebody, anybody ever been around somebody that just constantly like cuts you down? Yep. And you start believing those things? And it, wouldn't it be amazing if it worked the other way? If we could hear God say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it to the point it affected us, our actions and our behaviors. See, because in reality, I don't care if you think I can follow Jesus. If Jesus thinks I can follow Jesus, he, he knows everything, right? So he has to know. And, he, and he, he loves me. 
Everybody in the world may not, but he does. And if I can live under the power of who Jesus says I am, then these things become very possible for me. Because really, let's be honest, how we treat people most of the time comes based off how people treat us, right? You ever let somebody out and you're like, oh, they didn't say thank you. You're like, I'm not holding the door for them ever again. Why? Why? Why does that matter? You ever shown somebody some kindness, maybe given them something, and they didn't seem like they were very accepting? Maybe they didn't even act like they wanted it? I'm not getting them anything. Why? Why does it matter? See, in reality, we've not been called to these things based on how people treat us and how people act. We've been called to these things based on what God says about us. God says we're chosen and we're holy and we're loved. That's what God says about us. He says you're a new creation. I made you something new and you got to begin to act like a new creation sometime. Now, I think when we read these things, we're like, I'm so bad at this. I'm never going to be good at this. And it, le- it leans us into a place of, so why try? You know what's crazy? Before a baby learns to walk, how many times do they fall down? Like, really? I know you don't know the actual number, but it's, it's a ton. I've not even been around babies, but they just fall everywhere, right? <laughs> well, pull themselves up on a table and just, uh, it's right there. What are they doing like 30 seconds later? <laughs> mm, doing it again. And they start walking, and it's like, they don't know what they're doing and just pfft, timber, right? <laughs> what if that baby just quit? Oh, I got hurt. Done. Didn't work out how I thought. Done. Wouldn't it be crazy if we had like a 42-year-old man up in one of them car seats today, somebody toting you in here? <laughs> you, you know why churches don't have Unity. I'm going to be honest with us, with me. That's because we got a lot of 42-year-old babies. And Jesus gets to tote us in every week and set us down. We've got, we got a lot of people that for some reason think that our opinion is greater than everyone else's opinion or our feelings are greater than everyone else's feelings or we've got a lot of people that don't think it's important to just love people next to us or, or try to be friendly if we're having a bad day or, or, to, or to be compassionate towards people that their lives are falling apart. We've got a lot of people that think they're too good to accept other people, right? You've been to those churches. You, you've walked into those places and you've seen how people look. What are they doing here? And we wonder, right? Why can't churches get along? Because somewhere along the line, we decide it doesn't matter what Jesus says that we should be and how Jesus says we should act. We just have to come to church. We've developed this level of like bottom of the barrel Christianity where as long as we come in and our needs are met and as long as we come in and we feel good, we're going to be here, but we're never going to lift a finger to make anybody else feel good. We're never going to lift a finger to to make anybody else feel loved or accepted. And we even get mad when people talk about it. Can't believe they would expect me to. I'm shooting real. Someday we're going to have to get out of the crib. The, The world is full of lost people. 
And babies can't win people to Jesus. They can't. That's why he writes this to the church at Colossae and, and through that to the, to the church at here today. You're a new man. Start acting like it. You, you're, a, you're a new creation. You're a different kind of thing. Do you not realize what God has done inside of you? God didn't just change your destination. He changed your entire nature. You got new DNA. You got God DNA flowing in your veins today. God chose you. And he wants you. He believes in you. He says you're holy. He says you can do it. He, he's championing you on on Monday. Just imagine God's in your corner saying, you got this today. And you're loved. So when you're not good at it, God still loves you, but he loves you enough to continue to stand behind you and to say, come on, today is the day. You're new people. Act like new people. God has done an amazing work in you. God has forgiven you. Why are you not forgiving? Can you just imagine God sitting in heaven? <sighs> really? Dude, you... <laughs> let's compare list <laughs> he looked at you funny today and you've been mad for three weeks you killed me on a cross brother <laughs> not the same not the same grow up grow up and love each other right Message to Colossae, message to Overflow, message to the United States of America. Grow up and love each other because what we've got in front of us is far too important to focus on this pitiful stuff. Grow up and have compassion because Jan at the Kroger needs compassion. Her husband is a jerk and her kids never talk to her. She thinks God's given up on her. And all she sees from the church is every Sunday when she's too slow in line, huffing and puffing and yelling and screaming. Jan needs compassion. Where are you at? Because you're my people. What about Dan down at the Cracker Barrel today? Taking your order. Oh, Man, this is horrible. He brought you Coke instead of Diet Coke. Let's yell at Dan. Nobody knows that Dan's just trying to work his way through school with no help. Because Dan grew up in a poor family and his parents kicked him out when he was 18. Heaven forbid he's got more on his mind than getting your Coke order right. Let's yell at Dan. Because Dan gets that all day on Sunday. Right? You've been there and you've done it. What a shame. They didn't speak to me at church today. Yeah, their week was horrible because blank died. They got fired. Man, it's so bad they had more on their mind today than saying hey to you. Did you say hey? Did you ask him what's wrong? 
God's sitting in heaven saying, where's my people at? Playing in the crib. I I don't mean to be harsh today because I believe God loves us enough to forgive us for all that stuff. And I believe God is forgiving enough to just look past all that. But I also believe that until the church gets behind just any, even, even a little bit of what God has called us to be, that we're wasting time and there's not really a reason to be here. If all we're going to do is to come in a building and sing a couple songs and to say amen a couple times and then go back out exactly the same, why are we here? This is a moment where we come together and we thank God for who he is and what he's done. We're reminded what he says about us and then we're motivated into action to grow into little Christ that go out and to invade the world. To go out to the school and to go out to the Walmart and to go out to the homes and to go out to all these other places to people that never will experience Jesus in the context of the four walls of the church and say, Jesus is here today. Why are you so different? Man, I got God DNA flowing through my veins. Man, I've treated you like junk for three years. Why do you always say hi to me in the morning? Because, man, the breath of God is living in me. I was a traitor. I failed him over and over and over again. And I looked at him in his face and I cursed him. And in that moment, Jesus climbed up on the cross And I heard him say, Father, forgive him. He doesn't even know what he's doing. Man, and out of that grace, out of that love, out of that God that chose me and calls me holy and says that I'm loved, out of that motivation, I just can't be what I used to be. That's the church. Welcome to it today.